Good morning. Uh, let's begin this morning by reading our text found at the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, and we're going to read verses 16 to 20. And uh, if you're new here, I'm Colton, I'm our youth pastor here, and I'm just delighted to get to share this word with you today, starting verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's take a moment to pray together. God, we thank you for this word. We thank you that we have written in your word this encouragement, this promise that you will be with us and this commission to go. God, we pray that as, as, we, as, as we open up your word and, and hear stories and, and, and are encouraged, God, I just pray that you would ignite by the power of your Holy Spirit a fire in our hearts to share the gospel with those in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. What do you do when you almost can't believe your eyes? This man, this man you know was dead a short time ago, hanging on a cross, is alive. And he isn't just alive. He's alive and speaking to you these words that we just read. What does this mean for how you live? How do you and I live like the person that we follow is a risen, saving Jesus? Now, that's the question I ask myself when I hear Jesus' words in Matthew. And I think that's the question that this text brings up for us. See, there are many who have lived since then whose lives have been changed because they have experienced the risen, saving Jesus. One such person was Justiniano Sonier the grandfather of Bible translator Romulo and his brother Joshua. Joshua recounts this story from his grandfather who lived in Peru, a Quechua-speaking native. Sonia tells the story of the Inca people. In 1532, the Spaniards came with, quote-unquote, Christianity, really state-sponsored imperialism. And the Incas knew that they were coming. Having prophecies that God would one day send people to tell them the truth about him, they let the Spaniards come because they wanted to hear what they were bringing to them. But when they arrived, Spaniards didn't have any intention of sharing the gospel of Christ, but rather to chase after silver and gold and earthly possessions. Not to come and share Christ, but to slaughter their people for earthly treasures. For a long while, Christians were seen as enemies. When Spaniard Christians came, the Inca would run away from them. But Sonia says, praise the Lord that there were men and women who understood the true gospel of Jesus Christ and actually came and preached it. One day, Justiniano, Joshua and Romulo's grandfather, heard that Christianity was not just for Europeans, but that Christ died for them also. They came telling the nations the truth of the gospel. And Justiniano put his faith in Christ that day. And from that day on, followed him faithfully until 1989. Now in the 1980s, there was a group called the Shining Path. It was a communist movement 
in Peru. And when they understood the strength of the Quechua people, they said, we must kill the pastors and leaders so that we have the people following us. So they started killing. And Justiniano was among the first to be killed. But, but Sonia tells this story. Many times God would reveal to Justiniano that they were coming to kill him and he'd escape. But one Sunday he was standing before his congregation and he said this, my brothers, next Sunday I'm not going to be here because the Lord has called me home. Sure enough, the next day the shining path came after him for preaching the word of God and he told them, the only way we can change the heart of our nation is through Jesus Christ. He asked the terrorists to accept Jesus Christ, pleading with them, even as they killed him. He died a witness to the risen Jesus, the risen Savior. And it meant that even in death, the word of his testimony, his witness, stood. Brothers and sisters, his testimony tells us of Christ's love, that he was willing to lay down his life to serve others, to share the good news with others. And I pray that my life and your life might also bear that kind of witness and commitment to following Jesus Christ. See, when you come to faith, to trust in Jesus as king of your life, you also come to be part of his mission, part of the task that we just read in Matthew's gospel. And not only that, when we share what the gospels teach of Jesus, when we participate in sharing these words with others, we become witnesses to Jesus as well. Pastor Dave writes in his book, Preaching in the Mission of God, it seems odd to say that we are witness to Jesus since we're almost 2,000 years removed from Jesus' earthly life and ministry. But as we look at the Gospel of John, Jesus promises that the Spirit will enable the disciples to remember and rightly interpret the meaning of his life, death, and resurrection within the the flow of salvation history. The work of the Spirit is what enables the ongoing witness to Jesus through the writings of the New Testament, their ongoing witness. Uh, John writes in, in, in chapter 14, verse 26, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the first eyewitnesses, through the Holy Spirit, continue to speak about the truth of Jesus when we read and share these scriptures with others. And more, we become witnesses to Jesus as we personally encounter him through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So let's dive into this passage that Matthew called the Great Commission to continue to bear witness to this risen Jesus. I'll start in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, But some doubted. Some doubted. What was really going on when they were doubting? Matthew records that the disciples had already been called to go by the resurrected Jesus to go and meet with him. So they know who they're going to see. They're expecting to see him. A Bible scholar, R.T. France, says that some of this doubting was because they didn't know how to respond to Jesus in this new situation. That he's risen and alive. See, last time they were faced with hardship, the disciples ran away. They peaced out and got away, not wanting to lose their life for Jesus' sake. But now they're back, and some were hesitant. Friend says, this wasn't an intellectual doubt, but of practical uncertainty. 
What does this mean for the disciples? How would they respond? And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus, the one who's been risen, then comes and says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. All authority is mine. Death has no authority over me. This is actually echoing what's written in the Hebrew scriptures long before Jesus came. Daniel 7, 14 says this of the son of man who Matthew is saying, Jesus is the son of man. Says he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus is this person. He has all authority. He is the Messiah, the King. And so the disciples are now face to face with someone who has all authority. And for those who come face to face with Jesus and believe in him, there is no staying neutral. They will either respond to him in obedience or not. If Jesus has all authority, then, then what? Therefore, therefore, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So what is the commission? To go. Get off the sidelines. Get off the bench and make disciples. Now this means that the mission Jesus is sending his disciples out together on isn't just, hey, tell somebody about the gospel and then say, all right, I've done my part. Good luck with that. On to the next person. No, making disciples really does mean to live it out, to model. uh, To model that God's grace is at work in us as well as teach what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. And being a witness means that we are personally involved with the message, with the risen Jesus himself. Uh, We aren't pointing people to an idea or a concept or just a set of teachings or things you have to do. We're introducing people to the one that we've met personally, who's transformed our lives and continues to. We are witnessing to the person that we've personally encountered through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes because of the nature of the Greek word, people translate this, as you go. And the preaching conclusion then is, as you go, day by day, make disciples. But that can sound kind of passive. What Jesus is saying here is not something passive like that. And I think the way our translations, most of our translations have it is right, go. There is this active sense of being sent out and getting up from where you are to actually go. Uh, Jesus' instructions are proactive, one scholar says. We're to move out into the world, not simply make disciples when we happen to be there, or when they happen to be there. This takes intentionality and commitment. And and why are we going? We're going because this news is too good not to share. Everybody needs to know it. And if you don't know Jesus, I pray that you'd hear the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection of his love for you. You know, this kind of news doesn't let us just sit back and have long-term friends, people we work with, who never hear about Jesus or the impact that Jesus makes on our lives. And though this is something that, you know, can be really hard in the real world, Uh, It could impact our social relationships. We might get rejected. We might lose friends simply by sharing the hope for life that we have because of the resurrected Jesus. 
there's something missing in our faith. If we have people in our lives who've been in our lives for a while and have never heard about Jesus. And now Jesus tells his disciples where to go. And this has global implications. He says to all the nations. Uh, For the disciples, that's beyond the confines of the Jewish world where Jesus' disciples lived. Uh, They were, as we are, being called to take the gospel to places in the world that hadn't heard the gospel. To every tribe, tongue, and nation. Revelation 7-9 paints this beautiful picture of every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus as king. In Acts 1-8, Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. For what? Just to have? No. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's that word, witness. The call is to bear witness, to baptize and teach to interpret and explain what is written in the scriptures of the person and work of Jesus Christ and to the nations. This means going outside of their comfort, of our comfort and familiar zones to bring the message of hope across cultural, ethnic, and societal boundaries. You know, at first, disciples had only gone to the lost sheep of Israel, their own people, while Jesus was ministering to them. But now he's saying, go out to all the nations. Uh, Bible scholar Rodney Reeves writes this. Some might say, how dare Jesus command his followers to make disciples among people who already worship their gods? What makes him so special? Why should we presume that his way is better than the way of other religions? Was he looking only for the malcontents, counting on his disciples to find those who were already dissatisfied looking for another religion? Or was he claiming that his way is the only way? You know, already throughout the Gospels, that message is very clear. Jesus says he is the only way to the Father, the only way to have a relationship with your creator, the living God, who created everything. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He has authority to say that in a multicultural, multi-religious world, and the proof is the resurrection like Dave had talked about last week on Easter. That's what we celebrate. Uh, And if you're still grappling with the resurrection, I would encourage you to wrestle with it more. We have printed in the back four sermons and and copies of them for you to take if you want to grab and and wrestle with, is it reasonable to believe in the resurrection? And it is. And I'd encourage you to keep grappling with it because it is so important to the Christian faith. Um, Its implications transform your life. It means a total reorientation of our lives. Uh, we basically we reorient our lives from seeking great things for ourselves, even from seeking promotions, the comforts of our homes, the Canadian dream, hanging out with just friends that we get along with. And it causes us to orient our lives to live with him on mission, if that's true, that he's resurrected. We reorient our lives around God and his story. We don't try to orient God around our lives anymore. It's life-changing. See, obedience to Jesus means loving Jesus more than your own life. It means when Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 24, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? 
you follow Jesus, you're not forfeiting your soul. You're trusting and following him. He's calling you to carry a cross, to deny yourselves. This is more than just going to church or reading the Bible. Simply doing that is not going to give you a faith that conquers and a testimony that stands up. He is calling you to bear witness to him, no matter the cost. Loving, not your life, even to the point of dying. Facing rejection. Leaving your home, if that is what God calls you to do. Losing your life and finding it in him. And that involves obedience, and it does take sacrifice. What does this obedience look like? I want to bring up three points. Um, The first, we need to go out of our comfort zone and be vulnerable. What are some of the implications for reaching the end of the earth? We need to listen to the two things that Matthew's gospel records that Jesus says to his followers after he raises from the dead. The first thing he says to the women who see him are, go and tell, go and tell my brothers. And then to his 11 disciples, go and make disciples. Get out there and tell others about Jesus. On a mission trip a while back, I remember kind of going out, stepping out of my comfort zone, being obedient to something really uncomfortable because I knew it was what God was calling me to do. But on that mission trip, there wasn't much for social ramifications. I was there, I crossed the culture, I crossed back in and went home. And when I came home, I was presented with an opportunity to do the same kind of thing, to pray for someone, to to share in that way. And I didn't do it because it felt awkward. And there could have been more social alienation because of it. And I sinned because I disobeyed Jesus and his call because I felt it would impact me in some extreme way. You know, but in a study we did a few years back, Susan Bell and Judy Polson, uh, they say this, should someone decline an invitation, what is the worst that can happen? It's inevitable that some will decline it as some walked away from Paul and Jesus. But as long as we've offered out of an authentic faith and in a respectful way, it's never negative. And chances are there'll be a few who, although responding lukewarmly to the initial invitation, may well respond positively down the road. See, in Canada, uh, the cost doesn't even come close to how good the news is. In other places in the world, it costs people their family, their job, their lives. And even then, it's the best news ever, and they willingly share it and give their very lives for it. Move out of your comfort zone and share the good news of Jesus. The second point is, go out of your comfort zone together. If responding to the Great Commission kind of makes you nervous, know that you're not called to do it alone. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two when he first sent them out to tell people. And we are called to live in community too. A missionary to Central Asia, Elliot Clark, he tells of how he would have gospel conversations with people of other faiths. This is what he says. If possible, I would always arrange for a time to meet when Dave, a Canadian brother, could come along. Dave was more welcoming and friendlier than I was, but I was more comfortable leading a discussion in the local language. As I spoke, Dave was constantly praying and engaging. Invariably, a moment would come in our conversation when Christianity, about Christianity when I'd be stumped. I'd lack a good answer, or I'd forget a verse. At that moment, without fail, Dave would step in, He'd have just the words, timely and true. For me, the joy of seeing the Spirit use us as a team was thrilling. See, it is a commission, something that we share in together, using each of our gifts for the kingdom. And that's beautiful. Third point, invite people to do life with you. 
Show hospitality. Welcome people. Uh, This might be more in your comfort zone sometimes because it could be at your own home, but inviting people to do life with you and your family and other Christians is another huge way to witness. Uh, One theologian shares a story. He says, my friend Dave, a year after coming home for a meal with my family, commented, I will never forget holding hands around the dining table and thanking God for our food. Frankly, the theologian writes, saying grace is not a big deal in our family. Sometimes it's perfunctory and formal. Sometimes we forget. But something that is perfectly normal in a Christian home can make a disproportionate impact on someone who's not used to it. You know, having dinner with people, most recent evangelism books say, changes lives. Now that's a very specific example. But often it's a thing that we don't notice that rub off on us from our time with Jesus that can really make a difference. Is Jesus rubbing off on you? You might never know how much he is, but prayerfully, if you're obedient to him, if you step out of your comfort zone, you spend time reading his word and live your life with wholehearted commitment to him, personally and intentionally involved with him, then you'll be ready to personally share the good news of Jesus in both word and deed. Now, what Jesus says at the end of this passage is probably one of the most important things for us to hold on to going forward. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Uh, that isn't something meant to give you a warm, fuzzy feeling on ch- at church on Sunday. That's for you when you are living out your calling to be a sent one in the world. And it's here that we will face the pressure of the enemy, the real enemy. One of my professors, Paul House, in a message he shared, reminds us that the devil is not a weak adversary, even though he's defeated. He is no joke. House uses a sports analogy for basketball when he speaks to the devil, but I'm going to use a hockey one here. Um, When you watch a hockey game, there are some teams that you really have to beat to win. Uh, They play hard. And sometimes some teams, when they're losing, they make it tough on the other team. Not only do they play hard, they play dirty. Well, the devil's like that. He's defeated, but he's not going away easy. He is going to fight hard, and he fights dirty. Let me read you what John wrote in Revelation about how we witness when we have such an enemy. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's the devil, who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. That's Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us. Triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. His time is short. He's furious. He's playing dirty. You know, that same word that we've seen Jesus use in Acts 1.8 when, when he called us witnesses, marturin there. We find that root here in the word testimony, marturias. The word witness in Greek is martyr. 
Now, we've made that to mean someone who died for sharing their faith. But all of us are called to be martyrs, witnesses to the risen Jesus, and ultimately, in whatever way God calls us to, giving our lives, our desires, our efforts, our passions, the whole of our being, for the great commission, commission that Jesus calls us to. Romulo Saunier uh, was an evangelist and Bible translator for the Quechua people. His grandfather, Justiniano, I talked about earlier. Romulo, along with one of his brothers and other cousins, uh, was murdered in 1992. A friend of mine from Peru actually shared a story of Romulo that one day there was a knock on Romulo's door and a man told Romulo that he had been pretending to be part of the church but was really a spy sent for the shining path and also sent to kill Romulo. But the words he heard from Scripture would not let him go. Romulo actually led the man in a prayer and said, you need to give your life to Jesus and not to the shining path. And this man became a Christian. And my friend tells that day he handed Romulo the gun that he would have used to kill him. A few months later, Romulo and others were traveling to visit the burial place of his grandfather, the one murdered by the Shining Path, Justiniano, and to encourage Christians who were hiding from the Shining Path. On the return home, they were ambushed and killed in front of their parents. Now, on the way to speak at his brother's funeral, Joshua Saunier was very, very angry. Angry at the Shining Path for killing his brother seething with anger all the way there, he got up to speak, and this is what he said. Shining path is not my enemy. Satan is my enemy. Sonia told a friend that it wasn't until he got up to speak that God took away all the anger that was directed at the shining path. He said, I suddenly saw that if I was going to fight the shining path, I should fight with the Bible. And you know, in realizing that Satan is our enemy, not people, ultimately. That enables us to be peacemakers in the world. When we think of the Sri Lanka bombings last week, we need to realize that our enemy is not those terrorists. Our real enemy is Satan. Uh, when Joshua, Sonia's brothers had died, Joshua went back to Peru, and he began to pastor there. And since doing so, he has had the opportunity to witness to members of the Shining Path like his brother. See, knowing who our enemy is and who it is that sends us helps us love our enemies and genuinely be peacemakers in the world. When we have the confidence and the security of eternal life in heaven, then we can resist our natural worldly responses of fear and cowardice and anger and live our lives out of love. Joshua Selny had actually, after he went back, had a bomb planted at his doorstep. But his lives and the lives of his family were spared. But one day, he says, he might be going home to be with the Lord. And he prays that we may know it's because God has called him home, that God is ultimately the one in control of this and respond in love. See, we do have an enemy who would rather see us timid, fearful, and reluctant to live out the Great Commission wherever God calls us. And you might ask, you know, how can you say that God is with us if we see people like Justiniano and Romulo and others like those in Sri Lanka dying, how can you say that God protects his people? Satan fights dirty. But there is something that Satan cannot touch. 
Paul House, he says this, God ultimately protects what is most important. And that is our salvation and our witness. How did our brothers and sisters conquer the accuser? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. God protected their lives ultimately by salvation through Jesus' death on the cross. And by protecting their testimony. They love not their lives so much as to shrink from death. Their witness to Jesus was worth giving their lives for. And ultimately, God preserved that in them. And his promise to be with you always, even to the end of the age, means that you, when you trust him, he won't abandon you, but will carry you through from death into life in his glorified presence. That's where he's going to carry you. He will preserve that. What might it look for you to go and make disciples where God has called you? Where has God called you? To whom has God called you? Where is your mission field? Where is he calling you to step out in courageous faith and deep trust in him? Before you cross cultures, make sure you can cross the street. God will never leave you. Responding to Jesus' commission means wholehearted commitment and trust, ultimately a deep trust that helps you face anything with confidence that God will protect what is most important. That out of his great love for you, he has called and sent you, even when you think, I don't deserve it. You and I don't. But Christ is calling out, can I get a witness? How will you respond? I want to leave you with these words from Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are called to go, confident that that love will never leave us, that when we put our trust in Jesus, he will always be with us. Let's go confident of that love, of that love and courageous to step out and share our faith, to share the only way for true life with those who God puts around us. Amen.